not that we want to uh, belittle the fact, but uh, just briefly, I, I'd like to recognize those who have served in our military, if you would stand up. do thank you for your service and we do <clears throat> just thank you for those who have uh, suffered in service and have even died in service so to, tho to those that um, are here and to even those that have family members that are not here uh, we give you thanks and today we remember those our fallen soldiers uh, that have defended our freedoms that we can come here in this pub and talk about Jesus today it's a beautiful thing, and um, war is not beautiful, but obviously the freedom from it is, and so I, I thank God that uh, we have this freedom here today to do that, and Luke, <clears throat> as you, you talked about Zeke's passion for uh, being a Marine, he had to make a choice, he had to make a choice to go into the Marines whatever the leading was of that to go into the Marines was one thing, but then once he got there and he actually got involved in the whole thing and the more he's, his passion for it and the more he understood it, the more he developed it, I guarantee you if you give him another four weeks, that cadence will be more perfect than it was when you saw it this weekend. I don't know if it'll ever, ever, ever be perfect, perfect, because they will always, always dig deeper and learn more. I guarantee you if they had another month, it's amazing what they would experience. And I say that because I believe the same thing about this right here. I, I believe that if you choose to get into this thing and read this thing, and the more you read it the rest of your life, the more you will discover. I, I don't know how many times I've, like, I couldn't tell you how many times I've read the Bible. But the more that I read it, the more I look at it, the more I, I break it down, the more I meditate on it, the more I concentrate on it, the more I become passionate about it, the more I fall in love with it, the more I understand it, the more I want to talk about it. I want to tell the details of it. I like want to live this thing out, and I've seen this in you, my brother. I really have. I've seen this in many of you over the years. Watch you get passionate about the Bible. The Bible, I don't worship this. I worship the God that spoke this. But this tells me all about my God, my Savior, my Lord, and uh, I just deeply encourage you to like pour through this thing and figure this thing out because it does come alive. It comes alive. You can look at it from up here and get the big perspective, or you can even like look at it down here very closely and pick it apart. And whatever way you look at it, it's an adventure. It really is. There's great 
stories in here. And so I highly encourage you, as we uh, talk about the Sermon on the Mount, I want to clarify something else here. We, we've been going through the, the ministry of Jesus. We're to the Sermon on the Mount, which is Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, Matthew being the first book of the New Testament. Matthew's telling this story of Jesus. Jesus is standing there speaking to a group of Gentiles, which are non-Jews. He's speaking to uh, Jews that are opposed to him as being the Messiah. They believe that he's not the Messiah. He's got the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Sanhedrin that are now following him because he's done miracles, and they're in denial. And then you've got those that are believers in Jesus. They believe that Jesus is the Messiah because they've seen him do great things and believe that this rabbi is their teacher. So you have a mixed crowd out there that's standing before Jesus as he gives this sermon, chapters 5, 6, and 7. We discussed chapter 5 last week, and here's what I can tell you is that he pretty much slapped the Pharisees around last week. In chapter 5, he just like, you've heard it said this, but I say do this. You've heard it said this, but I say do this. Like whatever they're saying, it's not good enough. It's not good enough, so let's double that and see if you can do it. The whole point being, the whole point being that you can't do this. You can't actually live out this sermon that Jesus is giving these red letters. And the reason you can't do it is because he wants you to see that you need him as a savior. It's him that's going to save you, not your works. Now, I say that. You may interpret that I'm just like throwing the red letters out, that I'm throwing the Sermon on the Mount out, and that it's not, it doesn't mean anything to me, and that's incorrect. It means a lot to me. It tells me about the heart of my God and what is, value, what is of value to him. So here's, here's what I do know about this, is that Sermon... <laughs> You reading the Bible to yourself down here? <laughs> help her, help her there, <laughs> Sophie. Help her. <laughs> so, like the Sermon on the Mount, it's got five five chapters. Here's 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 what I know: is you can't live this on your own. You can't live this on your own. He says, I'll do this for you. Now watch this, watch this. Everybody focus right here. He says, I'll do this for you, and it won't contradict anything that I say in my red letters. If I lead you, if the Spirit leads you, and I do this in your life, and you let me do this in your life, everything that I've said right there, not an issue. Not a problem. That's the beauty of it. So therefore, I don't have to have a sermon on my wall to tell me how to live my life, but I have this spirit that lives inside of me that says, hey, Rusty, rest, and I'll do this for you. That doesn't mean that I just sit on my couch and do nothing. It's, I do a lot of stuff. I do a lot of stuff, and it's really him doing it through me. That's the beauty of this whole sermon. So he's kind of beat up the Pharisees about their interpretation of the law 
And then we get to chapter 6, and he's really now focusing on ourselves. The way that we live our lives ourselves. So here we go. Matthew chapter 6. This is Jesus speaking to the crowd. He says, Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of people. To be seen by them. Otherwise, you will have no reward for your Father in heaven. So whenever you give to the poor, don't sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogue and on the streets to be applauded by the people. I assure you, they've got their reward. But when you give to the poor, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be secret and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. What you have to understand here in the context of this is that, again, he's speaking about the Pharisees. The Pharisees put a lot of value on money and things and possessions. In fact, they believed the more money that they had, the greater that their salvation was in eternity. Like if they could collect their wealth and, and, and raise raise their bank account as high as they could, that things would be much better for them in heaven. Just the crazy thinking. And so what they would do is they would literally give an offering to the priest and they would let everybody know what that offering was. I'm giving this because this is important to me. They'd almost like just post what <laughs> what their giving record was. It's kind of crazy. And Jesus is like saying, no, this isn't why you give. You do give to the priest. You do give part of your part of your wages you do give part of your crops you do you do give but here here's this is you do it in private this is a personal thing this is between you and the lord and look i don't talk about giving to levener hardly at all less than one percent of the time that i'm up here and it's obvious that people give to this ministry and i am very much thankful for that but understand this i totally believe uh and and the elders of leavener believe that we don't have to ask for money we don't have to ask for support for this ministry like i don't think i've ever asked for a dime from you everybody that has like given to this ministry has given because the spirit has led them we may have like come up with uh, instances like when we did the Burke House and said, hey, this is what it's going to take to help get the Burke House. Those that want to contribute can, but I don't think I ever remember asking anybody for a dime. I think when I first started in 2007, I was, I was ready to, but my elders just said, just trust the Lord. And I swallowed hard and did. And to this day, the Lord has just taken care of us and taken care of many of you out there. And so uh, it's a beautiful thing. Uh, to do it in private, you know, I, it, it's kind of it's crazy. Uh, people hand me money. Like people have handed me money this morning, and I put it in the offering plate. <laughs> and I 
enter that into our records, and I'm literally the only one that sees anybody's giving in here. No, the elders don't see it. Nobody sees anything except for me. My wife doesn't see it. I'm the only one that sees that. And I think it's a beautiful thing because my previous work, people gave in, uh, in the offering plate and everything else, and I received a paycheck, and I never knew who did what. But here I can literally say thank you to, to you for your support, and uh, we're grateful for that. And so uh, thank you, one, for supporting us, and two, it's always a private issue between you and the Lord. I don't, I don't sit there and weigh what everybody's done. I don't, I couldn't even tell you what everybody's done except for like at the end of the year when I have to send out contribution statements. Uh, but this is totally opposite of what Jesus was talking about with the Pharisees. And then he says, "Whenever you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites." <laughs> he keeps calling these Pharisees the hypocrites. He doesn't say. Like these Pharisees, he says, like these hypocrites. That's a that's a big deal. And and here's here's the funny thing is is you know you preach sermons for years and you're like teaching the people and they always go well they're not talking about me, <laughs> they're not talking about me. Well, I'm sure that's what the Pharisees are doing too. He's like you here here's what the hypocrites do and they're like well they're not talking about me. He says, whenever you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites because they love to pray standing in the synagogues. He's describing what the Pharisees are doing now. They love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by people. I assure you, they've got their reward. But when you pray, go into your private room, shut your door, and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. When you pray, don't babble like the idolaters since they imagine that they'll, they'll be heard for their many words. He's talking about the Gentiles who are praying to their gods other than this God. He says, don't be like them because your father knows the things you need before you ask him. Now, here's the, here's the crazy thing. Will you pray with me real quick? Will you pray with me? And uh, this is a good test right here. And we'll use the word trespasses instead of debtors, okay? It's a good king james word and when you get to the end can you put a little emphasis on the glory all right here we go our father who art in heaven hallowed be thy name thy kingdom come thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Don't tell me you can't memorize the Bible. This is all part of Matthew chapter 6. The disciples say, Lord, teach us to pray. Like, how, how do we pray? Because these Pharisees, these hypocrites, they read their prayers. Their prayers are written out. I don't think there's anything wrong with, with writing out prayers. 
I do ceremonies for the police and firemen all the time, and I write out my prayers and I'll read my prayer. But what they have is they have these books that they just say the same prayers over and over and over. And they literally go out on the street corner and say, Dear God, thank you for not letting me be like the Gentiles. They're letting everybody know how worthy they are, how great they are. And they're reading these prayers. And the crazy thing is, if you go back, if you go back to the Old Testament and you look at David and you look at all these Solomon, these men prayed spontaneously. They didn't, they didn't write their prayers out. They just prayed with a heart, with a passion. And then I look at us today... And I look at the church and we, and Jesus is sitting here saying, don't do these rote things. Don't just keep repeating these things. And here today we do the Lord's Prayer in most churches just every Sunday. Or we do those prayers out of books every Sunday. The exact thing that Jesus says, hey, this isn't really the right way to pray. I'm going to give you a model. We've taken that. And and it done exactly what he said not to do. It's kind of crazy. It's kind of crazy. I look. I value the Lord's prayer, but it's more like I would call it the disciples' prayer, because it was intended for the disciples just to say, "Have a conversation with me." Literally, the scripture says, Paul says, "Pray without ceasing." Pray 24-7. How do you pray without ceasing? That's like, that's like your whole life. How do you pray without ever stopping? That's because my conversation with God is continual. I don't know if there's ever an amen. <laughs> Unless something cool happens. But I'm con- even as I stand here today, I'm able to think about what I'm saying to you and at the same time going, Lord, help me. Lord, speak through me. It's kind of crazy how the mind works, but that's the way it does. That I can have this conversation with me. Lord, if this is, if this is not my word, if this is my words and we're in trouble, let it be your words. And so I have this conversation which is nonstop. He says, pray without ceasing. And then he gets into uh, verse 9. He says, therefore, you should pray like this. Our Father in heaven, your name be honored as holy. I'm reading from the Holman Christian Standard Version, which is a little different than what you just quoted from the King James Version. Your name be honored as holy, your kingdom come. You will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now let me show you something crazy. This is what uh, my friend Bob Warren unpacked one time as he taught through the Gospels, which is just amazing to me. He's one of those guys that would take this thing and he would look at it and look at it and look at it and he would take all 66 books and just figure out how to tie that thing together and he has taught many of us in this room about the Word of God. But look at this picture real quick. of This is old Jerusalem and this is a model. If you go to Israel with me next May little promo there. If you go to Israel with me, you see these people standing here and they're just looking at this model. This is what old Jerusalem 
looked like back in biblical times. This is the city of David right here. I don't know if you can see that from your screen, but right here is the Temple Mount. And then uh, the upper room is over in this area, and you... I just can't wait to take a group of you there. It's going to be amazing. Uh, Look at the next picture. We'll zoom in on this temple mount. This is actually that model again. So this is the actual temple, Herod's temple, that was built during Jesus' time. Over here is Solomon's colonnade, and this is the south entrance, this being the east, the west gate, the north gate. These gates that you see right here is how you entered the temple. There was one on each end. Right here is the Gentile court. It was the only place that non-Jews could go and hang out was in this Gentile court. It's where Jesus turned over the tables because this was so full of, of people selling sacrifices because your sacrifice isn't good enough you need to buy one of our sacrifices yours isn't pure enough we're going to sell you ours for double the rate because you don't want to go all the way back to Nazareth to get another sacrifice so now that you're here we're going to gouge you for sacrifices and Jesus came in and he says hey you know what this isn't right and you know why he said that not because of the injustice of just them ripping them off but this whole place was full and there was no place for the Gentiles to come and worship God I truly believe that Jesus had a passion, not only for the Jews, but for the Gentiles as well. And then you get in here, you get into this inner court here, and this is where the actual sacrifices were made on a yearly basis from the Day of Atonement. Time of fasting occurred, and the sacrifices were made by the priests. There's a women's court in here. The women could actually go in here and then there's a court where they can't go into. And then the, the holy place, the priest would go into this place right here, and there would be a lampstand, and there would be a table full of the table of bread called the showbread that was placed there. And then there was this veil, this veil that separated the holy of holies. And the only person that was to go in there was the high priest. And once a year, the high priest would step into the holy of holies, and ask for the atonement of sins. Remember, the atonement of sin just being the covering of sin, not the forgiveness of sin, because the forgiveness didn't happen until the cross. So watch this. It says, Therefore you should pray like this. Our Father in heaven, your name be honored as holy, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Here's what I want you to understand today is that you sitting in this room right here are considered a royal priesthood. 1 Peter 2.9 says this, But you, a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his possession, so that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of the darkness into his marvelous light. The reason is because you have the high priest living inside of you. Did you get that? Like, (laughs) you don't have to go to the priest for the atonement of your sins. You don't have to go to the priest for forgiveness of sin. The high priest already lives inside of you. We are a royal priesthood. 
And you go back to what David says in Psalm 100, verse 4. He says, Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with, with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. When you enter in through the gate on the temple mount, it says, give praise to him. Go back to that very first line in the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Jesus is saying to the disciples, as you enter the gate, you give praise. Hallowed be thy name. Give thanks to him. Now watch this. The next line in the prayer is, give us this day our daily bread. Here's the interesting thing. As you entered into that place where the priest did the sacrifice, guess what happened to the actual sacrifices? Some of them were burnt, but some were left over. And this is where the priest had their daily needs taken care of. The priests of the synagogues, the priests of the temple... Their everyday priests came and they took from these offerings that were brought from the people. We go back to Leviticus chapter 6 verse 14 and it says, Now this is the law of the grain offering. Aaron's sons, who were descendants, who the priests descended from, it says, Aaron's sons will present it before the Lord in front of the altar. The priest is to remove a handful of fine flour and olive oil from the grain offering with all the frankincense that is on the offering, and burn its memorial portion on the altar as a pleasing aroma to the Lord. Aaron and his sons may eat the rest of it. It is to be eaten in the form of unleavened bread in a holy place. They are to eat it in the courtyard of the tent of the meeting. It must not be baked with yeast. I have assigned it as their portion from my fire offerings. It is especially holy like the sin offering and the restitution offering. Any male among Aaron's descendants may eat it. It's a permanent portion throughout our generations from the fire offerings to the Lord. Anything that touches the offerings will become holy. So, literally, it is the law for the priest to take part of those offerings and use it for their daily provisions. And the Lord says, give us this day our daily bread. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Enter the gates with praise. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Talking about the priest being able to feed from the offerings. And then he says, and forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. The next thing that the priests did is they moved forward and they actually washed their hands and their feet at the brass laver that was there as they entered into this holy place. We look at Exodus chapter 30, verse 17. It says, The Lord spoke to Moses, Make a bronze basin. This is that, that bronze laver that we're talking about. Make a bronze basin for washing and a bronze stand for it. Set it between the tent of meeting and the altar and put water in it. Aaron and his sons must wash their hands and feet from the basin. Whenever they enter the tent of meeting or approach the altar to minister 
by burning up an offering to the Lord, they must wash with water so they will not die. They must wash their hands and feet so they will not die. This is to be a permanent statue for them, for Aaron and his descendants throughout their generations. So now he said, and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. These priests have walked in and washed their hands and feet as a cleansing. You see what Jesus is doing here. He's praying the Lord's Prayer as he's walking to and through the temple. And then he says, And do not bring us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. You guys, I don't know how many times that I've taught it in here. But you will be tempted. You will suffer. You will be discouraged. But there's only one way out from that temptation, and it's Jesus. So as you've walked through and you've gotten the sacrifice, received the daily bread, you've walked through, you've washed your hands and your feet, you've cleansed yourself, you continue to walk through, and I said that there's this lampstand, and then there's the showbread table. Right before you get to the Holy of Holies. If I look at John chapter 8, verse 12, it says this, And then Jesus spoke to them again, I am the light of the world. Anyone who follows me will never walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life. There's this lampstand right there near the Holy of Holies, and Jesus says, I'm the light of the world. It's me. I'm the one that's going to keep you from temptation. Lead me not into temptation. I'm the light of the world. In John chapter 6, he says, I assure you, anyone who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. What's there? There's the showbread table. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that anyone may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. The bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Jesus says, you want to know how to overcome temptation? It's me. I'm not only the light of the world, but I'm the bread of life. Did you hear this? Jesus died... His blood was poured out, and it was his forgiveness of our sins that allowed us to be made new. But it was this, when Jesus said, I'm the bread of life, I came back, I rose from the dead, and now I live inside of you so that you might have life on a daily basis. So that when you do get tempted by the evil one, when you do have terrible thoughts, look to me, focus on me. I am your life. I'm your life. I'll lead you from all temptation. And then he closes. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. When that high priest enters the holy of holies, 
He's cleansed. He's made his sacrifices. He walks in, and there, guess what resides there? The glory of God. That that glory. That glory that was in the burning bush when Moses stood there and got the Ten Commandments, and he came down off the mountain, and his face just shined. That glory that went through the wilderness that led them by fire and led them by clouds. That glory that showed up that night Jesus, baby Jesus, was born. That same glory. That same glory now lives inside of you. That same glory that's in the temple now lives in you. Come on, are you serious? That glory that, that was all throughout Scripture now resides in you. And you just... You just go through life, you just go through life, oh, what was me? <laughs> you miss this thing. If you fall in love with this thing and you figure this thing out and it becomes your passion, all of a sudden you realize you're walking around with the glory of God, this life becomes an adventure. It's, it, 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 I guarantee you, you're still going to walk through chaos, you're still going to walk through suffering, but you're going to walk through it realizing that the glory of God has taken hold of your life and wants you to live it fully. It's, it's great. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. You enter the courts through the gates and give praise. Hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Lord, thanks for your provision. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. They've been cleansed. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Jesus says, I'll do that for you. Thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. That, my friends, is life. Jesus never intended for us to do rote prayers. He just says, this is who I am. I'm the Messiah. It says, verse 16, or verse 14, sorry. For if you give people their wrongdoing, your heavenly Father will forgive you as well. But if you don't forgive people, your father will not forgive your wrongdoing. <laughs> now, that, that passage right there has been taken out of context so many times. Because the truth of the matter is, it's all about your spirit. Jesus is saying, if your spirit is that you forgive others, you've already been forgiven. But if your spirit says, no, I'm not forgiving, you probably don't have the Spirit of God residing in you. And it's obvious that your Father won't forgive you. That's a a spirit statement right there. Look, if the Holy Spirit's living in you, I guarantee you He's not going to contradict these red words, and He's going to lead you to forgive others. You You may choose to walk in your flesh, and not forgive. But that's only because you're not listening to the spirit that's inside of you. 
In verse 16, it says, whenever you fast, don't be sad-faced like the hypocrites. <laughs> like the Pharisees fasted and they let everybody know that they were fasting. They let everybody see that their face was all drawn up. For they make their faces unattractive, so their fasting is obvious to people. I assure you, they've got their reward. <laughs> it is kind of funny, isn't it? It is. They've got their reward. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face, so that you don't show fasting to people, but to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees the secret will reward you. You know, the only fasting that was required in Jewish times was the annual Day of Atonement. That was the one day a year they were required to fast. But the Pharisees, they decided to ramp that up, and they decided to fast every Monday and Thursday of every week. And they did it publicly. They wanted everybody to know that, hey, we're way better than whatever the Scripture, the law, says for us to do. Their purpose of course was to really win the praise of man and as the result they lost God's blessing I'm sure some of you are asking is fasting still legitimate today absolutely if the spirit leads you to do that if the spirit leads you to do that I've done it I've done it quietly I've done it privately. Let me just say, I've done it. I saw uh, probably value in it years after I had done it. At the time, all I was thinking I was hungry. <laughs> yeah, that's something the Lord has to lead you to do. Verse 18, it says, 19, Don't collect for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and the thieves break in and steal, but collect yourselves treasures in heaven whether neither moth or rust destroys and whether thieves don't break in and steal for your treasure is there. There your heart will be also. Uh, again, he's talking to the Pharisees, but we can relate to that as well. The Pharisees, he says, all this stuff you're collecting, all these possessions you're making a big deal out of, you got your eye on the wrong prize. I, I love my house. Those of you that have been in my house, you've seen my office. It's kind of a little baseball theme in there. Kind of. But you know what? That's just stuff. That's just stuff. I think about, you know, if my house burned down, I'd be okay. With all that stuff gone, you know, it's, it's some of the stuff from my grandpa and things like that that uh, are special to me. But, you know, honestly, about my house that I treasure more than anything is all the people that, uh, one, have been in it, but all the others that have invested in it. There's a lot of people out here that have invested time in my house. And I walk in my office and I look and see, I can't be, even begin to describe you know, Joe and John making these benches for me and Micah and I making this desk together and Jeannie painting the wall with Erica and and uh, Tracy Leaf's dad coming in and just cutting some carpet, a small piece of carpet in for me and, and Kurt Murphy putting in a door for me instead of a window and 
uh, Joe Hilfiger coming in and painting my AstroTurf and I, I could go on and on and on in my house and I know I'm missing people out here but that's what I value is just is probably just hanging out with you guys and that your investment in me is worth it. It burnt. Be okay. You guys will help me build another one. <laughs> I believe that. It says the eye of the lamp the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. So if the light within you is darkness, how deep is that darkness? Now he's really separating those who are believers and those who are not believers in him. You know, God made us things for us to enjoy. And it's not a sin to be wealthy. It's really not. It's only a sin when it possesses us. And so he's really telling these Pharisees it's all in how you view things. He says, No one can be a slave of two masters since either will hate one and love the other or be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot be slaves of God and of money. You can't love them both. It's not bad to have money. It's not bad to be wealthy. But you've got to have love for God alone. And in closing, he says, This is why I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Isn't life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the sky. I love the birds in my backyard. They don't sow or reap or gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you worth more than they? Can any of you add a single cubit to his height by worrying? And why do you worry about clothes? Learn how the wildflowers of the field grow. They don't labor or spin thread. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all this splendor was adorned like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the fields, which is here today and thrown into the furnace tomorrow, won't he do much more for you, you of little faith? So don't worry, saying, What will we eat, or what will we drink, or what will we wear? For the idolaters eagerly seek all things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. All he's doing right there is he is instructing us to trust him. Will you trust me? Will you trust me? I got you. I'll take care of you. I know you have your ideas of what you want what you think you need but I got you it says this how do you trust him but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness pursue it look at it every way that you can figure it out and all these things will be provided for you Therefore, don't worry. Don't worry about tomorrow because tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. 
who's missed a meal, <laughs> right? There's nothing to worry about. I got everything that I need. I'm going to focus on today. I'm going to focus on the righteousness that I've already received. Father, I thank you uh, <laughs> for your glory, your beautiful glory that just lives in us. May we today just even recognize that even more. I pray that for myself. I pray that for my friends. That you truly do love us. That you care about us. That you provide everything and there's nothing for us to worry about. Not have to worry about tomorrow. You've already got it figured out. Just pray I trust you. So Lord, we love you. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.